0: iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store.
1: Hi, good evening. How's everyone doing tonight? All right, welcome to the Apple Store Upper West Side. It's great to see you guys out here. Um, This is our first event as part of uh, the New York Film Festival 2011. We are super excited. Uh, We have Willem Dafoe here with us. uh, Yes, please. Willem will be talking with us about his new movie, 444, Last Day on Earth. Uh, Really excited about that. So, without any further ado, please help me welcome Willem Dafoe and Eric Cohn. Hey, everybody.
2: So... The film that we're talking about tonight was directed by Abel Ferrara, mm-hmm. um, who's this incredible New York director. And a lot of people may not realize this, but it's not the first time the two of you have worked together because there was this wonderful film called Gogo Tales, which also, also played uh, at the New York Film Festival a few years ago and never pr- got a proper release here. So can you tell us a little bit about the relationship you have with Abel and, and where that came from?
0: Um, I've known Abel for a long time, just because he's around. He's hard to miss, if you know Abel. Um, I followed his movies, also Abel, not so much now, but years ago he had the habit of talking to about ten actors at the same time for one role, so often he would ask, propose things to me that I never ended up doing, not because I didn't want to, but because one of the other actors ended up doing it. I worked with them first on a movie called New Rose Hotel uh, with Chris Walken and Ozzy Argento based on a uh, a William Gibson short story. And that was a mixed bag uh, as a working together. And Go Go Tales was uh, much more positive. Each time I work with them, uh, I feel... uh, we trust each other more, we, have, we develop a shorthand. So it's good.
2: Now, you said he's around. I mean, you can certainly tell from the film, which screens again on uh, Saturday, tomorrow night, uh, that this is a, a personal work. I mean, it's basically entirely staged in an apartment in this neighborhood um, on the last day of, of Earth, and, and basically just shows you walking around dealing with that. And it's hard not to get a sense that this is very much an autobiographical sort of portrait. Is, was that, is that an accurate reading? I,
0: sure, you could say that. I would maintain that all of his work is very personal. I mean, that's what really makes him, uh, you know, you can really call him uh, author and auteur because all his films look like Abel for our films and there's such elements of uh, his life in them. Um, for this one, it's called 444, Last Day on Earth, but don't get thrown by the title. The Last Day on Earth is, to my mind, is really just sort of a, a convention to deal with uh, this couple in a room kind of dealing with being with each other and dealing with time, dealing with strategy, how to live.
2: It's not a science fiction film. That's right. It's me.
0: not a science fiction film. But, you know, you get a good setup because if you take away the future and you kind of accept it from the very beginning, like there's no drama about, you know, how is it going to happen? At the beginning of this movie they say everybody's accepted the fact that in 24 hours the world is going to end. And these people are over the screaming, they're over the confusion, they're over the panic, and now they're just dealing with 24 hours together. I think uh, that's, that's a good uh, premise to start out with.
2: My understanding is that Abel's style of directing is very unique, to say the least. Um, and I've, I've heard stories about scripts that aren't even full feature length. And I'd love to hear how long this one was and, and what you brought to the table.
0: This was, uh, this was a scenario. Um, and then as we started working on it, uh, it got fleshed out. But the scenario was enough to go on. You had a beginning, and you had an end, and you had to keep a couple of islands on the way. And then once you started to approach thinking of making the movie, you had to rough in places. And then each, because it's basically two actors in basically one room, we had some flexibility. So basically, we developed the actual actions of the scene like the day before, we'd always try to stay a day ahead of, of uh, our work.
2: There must have been some sort of underlying philosophy or, or, or guidance you give in that regard.
0: Philosophy, is far as his...
2: well, insofar as you know, what what sort of ideas you wanted to come out of this situation? You
0: know, I don't. Uh, for us, we don't deal with ideas. We're dealing with just um, accomplishing uh, tasks. We're just uh, telling a story. We're just knowing that there's events to do when we try to do them in a way that makes sense given, you know, the little uh, world that we've made for ourselves. I don't talk about ideas. He didn't really talk about ideas. I'm sure they're in there, but the thing about this is, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's enough air in it that uh, people can participate. One weird thing about this movie was, that there were a lot of elements, because along with the people in the um, in the loft, they've got TVs, Skype, there's a lot of technology, everyday technology that we're all kind of used to, but it's all kind, going kind of uh, around the clock, and we didn't always know what would be on those TVs, so we had to always kind of anticipate that, which was a particularly... Um, Interesting production problem.
2: Well, it is a movie that deals, to a certain extent, with technology. I mean, when I was watching it, I was wondering why are people watching TV when they have, you know, 12 hours left to live. But there's also this interesting element of satire. You know, they aren't
0: watching TV. The TVs are on. It's It's real different. You know.
2: But somebody's producing media content. You know, I mean, there's Al Gore on Charlie Rose and and things like that. Um,
0: Yeah, but you know, it's like. What's the first thing when 9-11 happened? You know, you dial in, you want to know what was going on. You may have accepted, you know, like in this context, they may have accepted that it was going to happen, but they, want, they were interested in new developments, so they kept the TV on and uh, not really watching it, but it was uh, an information source.
2: Well, But I do, I do think there is at one point in the movie where someone says Al Gore was right. So there is some kind of element of, of satire, or I get the sense that there's a sort of a reaction to the climate right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, because that's where the camera decides to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's more that's more the director's thing.
2: So in, insofar as, as what you brought to this character, I mean, this, this guy has a long history. He's, he's not only in this apartment with this woman, but he's got an ex-wife and a teenage daughter. So how much of that did you work out on your own, and how much uh, was sort of put in place by the by Abel's scenario?
0: Between Abel and I, we worked it out. Um, yeah, you just make choices, uh, things that are interesting to you, things that kind of bring into... Focus, interesting uh, possibilities, and lay the groundwork for. You know, you know, you're gonna have, you're gonna say goodbyes. Who do you say goodbye to? You invent some sort of story for the character, yeah.
2: When you when you talk about inventing stories, uh, you know, this is very much a New York story. Can you talk a little bit about creating that environment and, and uh, you know, it, since it takes place not only in, in an apartment building but on the roof where you can see this amazing New York backdrop, uh, what was that process like? Um, that process? Finding the place, making it look oh,
0: like a... Oh, oh, as far as finding the actual main location? Uh, you start it conventionally just like anything else. You check out a lot of spaces. Um, Find out, you know, there's certain practical problems. We wanted a space that it was easy to pass from. We wanted a loft building, some sort of loft, not a conventional apartment, so you could see the whole space in one shot. Also, we wanted the ability to be able to go in and out very easily, uh, but enough of a space that we could be in the same room but separate. There were lots of considerations. And then uh, actually, that's huge decisions are made in um, huge character decisions were made in dressing the apartment, and you get a lot of information, just kind of peripherally, uh, so. Uh, we we thought a lot about those things.
2: Well, there. I mean, what, what I'm thinking about is how, how much of a universality there is to a movie like this. And in uh, some ways, it's almost like Abel's post-9-11 movie or something. You know, it's it's talking about how to deal with a disaster that, you know, no one can control, and, and basically it doesn't really matter what's happening, like you said before. So that that seems to create this sense that it really could be anybody.
0: Could you know, be it could anywhere? Be, it,
2: could be, it could be anyone. It could be anywhere.
0: Sure. You know. I mean, I think we're we're dealing with how do you spend time. You know, you take away the future. So much of what we do is predicated on a future. So a lot of people, you know, in our language now, there's lots of stuff about being present and being aware and be here now, that, that sense. But here's a setup where everything you do, I think of how many things you do in the course of a day. That have to do with preparing for later. You know, would you even wash a dish? Would you even bother to? Uh, would you even bother to? Um, you know, uh, eat? Uh, would you? You know, use uh, contraception if you made love? I mean, there's a million things. You know, it changes everything.
2: I'd get a little bit more personal with that. Uh, you know, in this context, and ask you. You know what motivates you to do a project like this when you've gained enough recognition where you can you know, basically go after more commercial material? I mean, after all, you were the Green Goblin, so... Hey. No. <laughs> it had to come up at some point. Yeah, so. yeah, okay.
0: Were. <laughs> and forever will be. Um, no, I look. Look, you look for opportunities. You look for engagement. You look for things that uh, excite you and turn you on. That's. I don't make a distinction between big movies, small movies. I do see tendencies. I tend to be attracted to personal filmmakers. Um, I tend to be attracted to situations where I can feel some sort of collaboration or some sort of participation. I don't see myself as an interpreter. I see myself as a thing, an animal in the landscape. I look for places that um, I can sort of forget myself and have a new kind of set of uh, thoughts and impulses and see what those feel like. And then, then there's some sort of shift in how I see the world and that's always exciting.
2: And you were just, you just uh, started And that's less,
0: that's less possible in less personal movies. Mm-hmm. And in movies that have a lot of pressure to calculate and know exactly um, what their effect is going to be, or know what the story is, or feel what's coming off of it, or what the appeal is going to be.
2: But you do have, you have roots in experimental theater. And I think you were just in a play called The Life and Death of Marina Abramovic. Um, So you've worked on on that plane, which is completely non-commercial, certainly based in more personal kinds of of creativity. Do you ever try, when you're working on bigger projects, to sort of import that kind of identity?
0: That's all I have. That's all I have. I mean, that's who I am. I'm more a product of that world than, you know. When I'm working on a commercial project, you don't make a shift. I still work the same way. It's just, my job is slightly different. I mean, one of the things about doing different kinds of movies, part of your job is to figure out what we're doing here and what's, what's my job. And you reinvent for each project, you reinvent your, your way because you aren't the same and your function's not the same. So you got to be really smart about um, what do I have to offer? What's interesting here? What do I have to work on? What can I let go? All those things.
2: Well, especially because I can imagine after you do anything that's widely seen, you get different offers based on what people assume you can do from that specific role. So that must be a challenge. I'm, you know, I'm, I mean, after Spider-Man, people probably wanted you to play a bad guy.
0: Right, no, sure, sure. I mean, people, okay, I get it. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, to, uh, if, you, if you're interested in a commercial career uh, and you're in very high profile projects, I think the, for most people the way to survive is to kind of um, create a persona that will function for these different projects. And uh, you work as a, you know, it's the difference between sort of being a movie star and an actor, an actor just broadly so my mind sort of bends himself to the material where a movie star will bend the material to uh, th- who they are, to a persona. Uh. That person <laughs> agrees. And, and um, you know, one's not better than the other, it's just what I'm attracted to more as being an actor. Not be- as I say, there's some people that are beautiful at being a movie star. And, that's cool, and, and they can make beautiful, do beautiful performances. But it's a particular way of being.
2: We'll go to questions in a second, but in addition to acting, you also work as a producer on occasion, and sometimes that's credited and sometimes it's uncredited. Um, but uh, can you talk about what that, how that figures into what you do and when you feel the need to sort of play that role as well?
0: Um, I don't. Uh, there have been situations where I've been a producer, but it's been a practical thing that... Um, My participation a certain way will help the movie get made. It's all about getting Things Made that you want to do. I'm not a producer type. I'm I, I like being a little irresponsible I feel freest when I am not responsible for the. Yeah, yeah I have been a producer, but it's not my thing and I probably will be a producer again But it's, uh, I'm a performer. I like, um, I like this sensation of, uh, that I can get performing.
2: Uh, All right, so do we have questions? I'm sure we've got tons. Right here in the front row. And some mic coming in.
1: And guys, yeah, please just wait um, until we have a couple of mics coming around. We'll get to you. All right, in the front. So do you prefer um, the opportunity to uh, develop the character when there's less of a script, or do you do you like it when it's more scripted? I mean, with Abel, you probably had less of, you, you worked with less of a script, but there's other things that are very clearly scripted like a Spider-Man.
0: Um, I don't have a preference. I really don't. Uh, as, as I said, you know, those two things, it, it, you know, they're as different as the kind of movies they are. Uh,
2: it, w- it was widely reported that, as as an important example, I think you did not want to do a sequel to Boondock Saints because the script wasn't very good. So that's that's, that's true. But I,
0: th- I think that was a case of uh, the first movie came out of a certain kind of spirit, and I think it was hard to recapture that spirit. And. Uh, I needed some indication that we could get back to that spirit and that that wasn't, I didn't get the signs that I needed from the script. And I thought, well, maybe it's time to move on from this. And, and, and uh, the director still wanted to make another one. And in fact, he found another way to make another one. But my interest in it had changed. It just felt like uh, I didn't have the same uh, stake in it. I didn't, uh, you know, y- you're led by... Uh, curiosity and um, when you feel like, uh, when you're attracted to something you really feel like uh, you have to do it and you don't worry about how it's gonna wash or whether it's good for your career or bad for your career and even to some degree you know, uh, money or all all that stuff falls by the wayside Um, you know with Uh, With Steve Jobs passing recently, uh, someone reminded me of that um, Stanford commencement speech that he gave that's widely seen. And I like this thing very much where he said, you know, after he got fired, he said, um, I was was rejected, but I was still in love, you know? When you're in love, when you're attracted to something, when you're going towards something, uh, you don't think about, all those other things like career or money or or why to play this particular role it's an inexplicable thing you're just um, turned on you're, you're best when you're in love you're best you feel most generous and you feel most you know uh, available available to impulse and available to receive the story and that's what you're looking for at least that's what I'm looking for I want to be surprised I want to be Sent someplace. I want to forget myself and uh, think a new way. That's that's what's thrilling about making things.
2: We have more questions around here? There's one in the back. All right,
1: we have one here on the right side.
2: In terms of your uh, collaboration with directors over your career, what what do you look for? And you know, in in the co- in the collaborative process, and and I'm curious
0: if you've had like a bad experience versus you know the better experiences you've had. Like what really brings things to life? You know, uh, when I look at a project in general, I, you know, I, I look at people. I look at people in situations much more than I look at the materials in a funny way. And the one thing that, uh, the, the one thing that I keep on returning to, sometimes it fails you, is be in the room with people that excite you. Uh, people that are intelligent, people that uh, you want to perform for, people that you want to um, spar with. That's, that's what you look for. So you never know what the collaboration is going to be. And sometimes the truth is, the pleasures are found in different places. I mean, sometimes I've had a really good time working on a movie and there was no research to do. There was nothing to do. You got the right costume. You just did it and it was really fun and interesting. Other times, you have to work really hard to get to that point where you can perform. So you never, uh, uh, you know, it's all uh, instinctual. But I think, you know, just don't be in in the room with people that, um, you know, you think are asleep at the wheel or yeah, that's, that's the big thing. That's my only anticipation about collaboration. And when, when, when a project is proposed to me, sometimes you, uh, you know, the invitation isn't to collaborate. Um, be flexible,
1: be flexible. <laughs> I think we have another question in the back. Yeah. Uh, how was it to work with we last Frontera?
0: Lars von Trier, what was it like to work with? I did it twice and I'd do it again. I think he's a great filmmaker and particularly in Antichrist, I had a wonderful time with him. Um, And kind of on the heels of your collaboration, I felt, this sounds like a really kind of crazy thing, but I really got the sense that he needed me specifically to make that movie. And that's a great sense of power, not ego power, but energy. And uh, he's a good example of someone, uh, and Abel is too, you know, someone that's bright, you're around them and you really get involved in uh, making something. Uh, It's it's active, Uh, what you're doing feels like the most important thing in the world while you're doing it, and that's exciting.
1: All right, we have another question down here on the right. Uh, I'm wondering how much time, uh,
0: is, um, how much, uh, I mean, in other words, it's 444, the last day on Earth. Now, is it a day that we see? I get that impression, it, but I. It, um, it is a day, but of course, you know, we're dealing with 82 minutes of screen time, so uh, we're, uh, time is elastic. Uh, something like that is, no, he's got time. He's relaxed there. He's not doing that in a panic. I mean, he's saying his goodbyes. Um, so he's not in a hurry there. That's, that's what's funny about... Uh, uh, he is a good example of time being a- elastic yeah, subjectively. Uh, I mean... Because uh, I'm, I'm very aware that... Uh, any minute, uh, the Indian Point nuclear power plant, uh, 20 miles up the Hudson, might explode because of a uh, an earthquake, or we're about to have solar flares coming from the sun through the su- uh, sunspots, and I, 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 uh, any, I may not get to see this movie.
2: You're going to like this movie.
0: <laughs> it's a hell of a way to live, I'll tell you. And I, I, don't, I don't quite have your commitment to these, uh, these thoughts all the time, but I have them too.
2: <laughs> well, there is a great scene at the beginning of the film where you're shaving and, and your partner says, what's the point?
0: Right. That's a good example of, um, you realize how many things we do is just to kind of maintain keeping on. And when there's no keeping on, what are you? What, what are you? I mean, even to each other, what are you? How do you help each other through or how don't you help each other through? And even memory, Uh, calling his daughter and his ex-wife, you know? What's that about? Does it really matter?
1: More questions. Any other questions? Um, So there are two films in the festival
2: that deal with the destruction of Earth as we know it, Melancholia and yours, and I was wondering why you think that's such a prevalent theme in films. Uh, Another Lars von Trier question. It's in the (laughs) air. It's his
0: fault. It's his fault. He's sending out all these crazy, paranoid (laughs) death rays.
2: (laughs) This movie is not a total downer, it should be pointed out. No, no. There's some life-affirming things. You can, and and melancholy say. is like that as well, in fact. So maybe it's not all about you know, being depressed about the end of the world, but sort of accepting certain realities about that fear. Um, that may be something that she was looking for. Uh, do we have other questions from the audience? I know a lot of actors learn something from every film they make. What do you think you can take away from a film like this? ask that guy
0: (laughs) is that a real question I think I probably learned a lot Um, it's all personal I'm not going to tell you (laughs) secret to being boring is to tell it all right no I don't know Um, no it's just the experience of uh No, you take there. It's it's an experience that doesn't have a name. It's an experience that I probably can. There's certain things in that experience of making this movie and seeing it made that I'll call on again, or will will pass themselves off as instinct. But uh, it's all slow refinement of your um, sensibilities of how to make something. But as far as Life-wise, that's really impossible, you know, to know, to know.
1: Question down in front? I
0: didn't really answer your question very well because there is no answer to your question. Well, this is sort of tangential to that, but... You know, have you stopped doing anything because the thought comes to your mind? Well, what if, what if, what if life were ending? Do I want to stop shaving? Do I want, now? Do you ever? Does that ever enter your mind now
2: that I may stop a behavior that's so rote or habitual just because this made you stop and
1: think?
0: I'm sure. I'm sure. As you might from just from watching the movie. I mean, that's what having experiences is about. Okay, right here. Um, My kids want to know if you enjoyed playing the Green Goblin. (laughs) They're over there, by the way, they're hiding. (laughs) Yes, I did. But, you know, to be fair, I probably enjoyed playing Norman Osborn. I mean, I like doing physical things. So there were pleasures in the Green Goblin, but there was also some limitation because of the costume and because you never get a real good long run on anything because um, of technical things. Where with uh, the Norman Osborn character, he was fun to play because the nice thing about that movie is in Spider-Man it walked a nice line between um, you know, comedy and drama. It goes back and forth. So it, it had a kind of beautiful, serious goofiness.
2: Did you see the Broadway show?
0: Broadway show? I haven't seen.
2: Very different Green Goblin in that one. Very
0: different. Better or worse? Come on. No, no. Different. Different.
2: Sub- I don't really want. I don't please. really want to know. <laughs> we had another question further in there somewhere. That guy. Somewhat related. I was gonna ask if you like to work from the outside in or the inside out. I'm thinking of Wild at Heart. I loved doing in Wild at Heart. Okay. From that film.
0: Wild at Heart is kind of an example of something, and I think it relates to what you're asking. That was a thing, David Lynch is great, smart guy, guy that's fun to be around, inspiring to be around. Wild at Heart was the kind of thing where he came in and he said, Willem, this is your costume. It was on a hanger. It had a very good text. He said, we got to get you an appointment with the dentist because I had like funky teeth in it. And so I I got the appointment with the dentist. They made me some funky teeth. I put those things in. I put on that, that costume, and learned my lines and I was good to go. Because all the triggers were there. Something about the, the wardrobe was perfect, uh, the scene, some, somehow fit a fantasy. Um, I didn't need to know who this guy was. Didn't have to make a backstory. Didn't need to think about it too much. That doesn't mean I didn't care. It just means that I had enough in the external things that I felt unlike myself and I was good to go uh, to play this guy. Where other times, you've got to do a lot to kind of get the authority to say, I'm this guy, and make you feel confident and flexible and uh, like you can do it. So it really depends on the, on the uh, role in the movie. So but that was a very cool thing to have the costume do all the work.
1: So folks, we have time for two more questions. Uh, down in front. Yeah. Antichrist was obviously a very graphic movie. Now, as an actor,
2: what is your process going into scenes that have such physicality?
0: I think they're kind of similar to any, uh, but with, with physical stuff, it's, you're always looking for some sort of physical thing, some sort of tangible thing that you can do. That's what you hang everything on. I mean, at least I do. Uh, You look for physical actions, you look for things to accomplish that guides you, and then you react off of it. So in the case of Antichrist, when you mean physical, you mean like some of the uh, sexual stuff, or, yeah, that's tricky because you're not quite sure where you want to go. But in a lot of those, there was a struggle going on because I'm trying to I'm trying to either keep her calm. There's always a condition, and there's always something that I'm trying to accomplish. Sometimes the partner, uh, it's a couple, if you don't know the movie, and there's a fair amount of uh, uh, love-making scenes, or not lovemaking scenes, I guess, sexual situations. There's always a, a psychological element to it, uh, and because she's... We've got roles to play, too, so it's really to find out, you know, to make a scene out of, uh, make actions out of uh, what has to be accomplished in the scene. And they weren't always fixed. Like sometimes when she was going out of control, my job was to control her and control her not in a rough way, you know, control her in a way that... uh, you know, was in the context of uh, their relationship. So uh, it was all sort of handed to you. You know, sometimes when you enter into the world and you enter into the story, uh, there's a logic there that you don't even have to think about. Does that
1: make sense? Great. And our last question right here.
2: If you hadn't become an actor, what would you have been? The Green Goblin?
0: No, I think a lot, I think, I think about that. I, uh, like real or fantasy?
2: (laughs) Both, both. Both. Both? Two options.
0: Real, I don't want to think about because I can't imagine it, but fantasy is something to do with, you know, my hands, um, physical, maybe outdoors, like, I think it would be cool I, this probably doesn't exist anymore, Practic- uh almost. But farming—I'm <laughs> serious. One of my uh, real pleasure is growing things. You know, uh, uh, I've had a vegetable garden in my life, and it was a great pleasure. I—and that would feel like a good thing to do. It's a—it's got—it's got it all. It's practical. You're serving a function. You're in touch with nature. It's got, uh, you know, it's about everything. God's in the carrots.
2: <laughs> it's a great line to end on, I think. Willem Defoe, everyone. Okay, thanks. <laughs> and I, I just, um, before, we, before you all go, I wanted to plug the other talks. There, there are several other talks going on related to the New York Film Festival at this store this week. And we're also doing some free talks hosted by IndieWire at the Film Center on 65th Street. So please go to the New York Film, Set, uh, Film Festival website and check them out. Thanks again.
1: Thank you all so much for coming out tonight. And yes, please help me thank Willem one more time.